Tonight I'm going to come from Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to take two scriptures tonight to kind of start with and then we'll go from there and build some other scriptures on top of it. But I'm basically going to get, deal with two topics and basically deal with one word that stuck out in my mind. Verse number 23 It says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And with that, let's get Jeremiah 13. And verse number 11, it says, For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, for a name, for a praise, and for a glory, but they would not hear. I just want to pose a question tonight. Are you stuck yet? Are you stuck yet? As many times as I've read the verse, for this cause shall a man leave his father and cleave to his wife, it's almost as if that word cleave jumped off of the paper at me last week. Cleave. What does it mean to cleave when he's talking about this? And we know that ultimately he's dealing really with the church. It, it really isn't dealing so much with marriage, although I'm going to make a lot of references to marriage tonight. But we need to take it in the concept of our marriage to him as our husband and we are his wife. Are we really stuck yet? In Jeremiah 13, when he talks about the girdle cleaving to the loins of a man, when the loincloth is not in its rightful place, it becomes good for nothing, mildewed and decaying. In this chapter, God is telling Jeremiah, I want you to take the loincloth off of you. Don't wash it. Don't get it wet. I want you to take it and I want you to hide it in the earth. And after some time, God came back to him and said, now I want you to go dig up the loincloth that I told you to bury, that I told you to hide, and I want you to tell me what you see. And when Jeremiah dug it up, it had begun to mildew and to decay and to fall apart. That's because the rightful place for the loincloth is on the waste. It is not to be buried, it is not to go to waste. But when it's worn around the loins, it was a symbol of strength and power. According to Isaiah 11 and 5, God's loincloth is righteousness. It says, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness is the girdle of his reins. Now let's get Joshua 23. Joshua 23 also brings in this word cleave. We 
No, we always quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and with all thy strength. We quote that time after time after time, but we constantly just blaze through that word all. He gives us four things that are in man, the mind, the heart, the strength, and the soul. And we are to take all of that and place it into God, but yet we find that we've only placed a little bit. Sometimes I think that we tithe our will to God. We only give him the tenth of ourselves. Well, he wants all of us. Because in turn, we say that we want all of him, but are not willing to in turn give all of us to him. And we really can't handle all of him. We, we, we're doing good just to get the portion of spirit we got from him already. And it's just overwhelming sometimes. We don't even know what to do with that. So let's pick up what Joshua says. And he, he kind of deals and dovetails off of Deuteronomy 6 and 4, but he puts it a different way. Verse number 6. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. So many times we deal with the famous sins of the church or in religion. But he's dealing here with that which remains of the world. Whatever is left over, what you did not conquer, whatever is left over of what you haven't taken control over, we need to still deal with that. What remains? Neither make mention of the name of their gods. The Bible says this, there's some things that we should not even be able to mention about certain men's evil deeds. Our mind shouldn't entertain certain things. Because there's, there's so much more of God that we need that we really don't need to waste our minds dealing with the base things. Dealing with those things that he even turns his ear against. But we like to talk about it so we're not to swear by them not to mention some of these things but instead cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done unto this day for the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong but as for you no man has been able to stand before you unto this day one man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he has promised you. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, 
even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they unto you. Do you know it's possible to have a love affair with your sin, your vice? When the Bible speaks of going in, it's speaking of intimacy. We become intimate with the things that once held us captive. And we say once held us captive because we gloat that I've overcome this, but yet there's a remnant of it that still is attached to us. Are we cleaving to that? Or are we cleaving to God? You can't be stuck to two at once. You're either cleaving to God or you're cleaving to whatever else it is. Some of us cleave to ourselves. It's ego. It's sin. Hatred, bitterness, fear, whatever it might be. But you can't cleave to that and cleave to God at the same time. Not when he is so totally opposite of all of those other things that we're stuck in. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Cleave. In the Greek, it means to adhere to or to join oneself to. In our English dictionary, it kind of means pretty much the same thing, to adhere firmly and closely or loyally and unwaveringly to adhere to. Now, if we go back to Genesis 2 in our first scripture, he deals with marriage. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. He brings in the idea of oneness here. I've said before that the beauty of oneness is not that God is one. He's always been one, always will be one. That's nothing for him. The beauty of the oneness is for him to take something that was diabolically opposed to him and to make it one with him. We are now one with Christ, and that is the real glory of the oneness. We don't get it. For him to pray to the Father that it is my will that these that I've come to save would be one with me as I am one with you. That is the awesomeness of the oneness of God. That I can live in union with God. His heartbeat becomes my heartbeat. His will becomes my will. She dealt with the will. And the place where Jesus shed the blood first was not Calvary. The first place that Jesus shed his blood was in Gethsemane, where it was the battle of the wheels. That's where he shed his blood. 
That's why he said, no man takes my life. The life is in the blood. He gave his blood willingly in prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. It came through his very pores while they slept on him. And then he took it to the cross. So the husband and wife, now he draws the picture that we are one flesh. Let's get Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. These will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His ever-expanding, peaceful government will never end. He will rule with perfect fairness and justice from the throne of his father David. He will bring true justice and peace to all the nations of the world. This is going to happen because the Lord of Heaven's armies has dedicated himself to it. He's dedicated. He is faithful to his desire. The King James says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. If you have something that you see, it is in most of us to go after it. Some of us will charge up credit cards. We'll work overtime. We'll sacrifice all kind of things to get it because we want it. We study it. We look at it. There's some things that I want. I, I like electronics. And the, even though I know I'm not going to get it now, I keep going back to the internet and I look at it. And I say, one day, I'm going to have that. That is what God did for us. And he had patience. He waited 4,000 years to say, okay, now it's time for me to go and purchase what I set my affection on 4,000 years ago. And we can't wait six months for the healing, for the deliverance, for the, we, we can't worship for 30 minutes. We gotta limit God to five minutes. When he waited 4,000 years for you. So God has desires in his heart. And his primary desire was to be joined, to, be, to cleave to his creation. The angels cannot love him at, with the same capacity that we can. They can't be redeemed. They can't be saved. We're the only part of God's creation that can respond to his love. And we have one lifetime to get it right one lifetime so we're no different than God so when God desires something he goes after it as long as it doesn't go against his fundamental characteristics we know that he's holy we know that he's love we know that he has mercy we know that he has grace so but according to this scripture when God has a zeal for something he's going to go after it and we're talking about desire. Hebrews 13 and 4 says something. I want to pick up only the first half of the phrase. Marriage is honorable in all. 
That's all I want to pick up. Marriage is honorable in all. I want you to consider your own marriage or the marriage of those that are close to you, whether it be a friend, a sister, a brother, a parent, a grandparent. Just consider somebody's marriage right now. How many have spouses who are not their best friends? Now, before you answer that in your mind, we have to think of how we can gauge that term of best friend. Because there are some spouses that might have a, a best friend of the same sex that they could go talk to and tell things that they will not tell their own wife. That would then mean that the wife is not the best friend. The husband is not the best friend. It's this one over here that's the best friend. So this can be gauged by the number of secrets that are perpetuated. Why would we need to keep secrets from the one who we vowed to be one with? If we're one, and we love to be called oneness folk, if we're one, there is nothing that the Father withheld from Jesus and there was nothing that Jesus withheld from the Father. Nothing. See, we, we're messed up now because of the type of society we live in. So much of our lives is just covering up, dressing up, perking up, impressing. But the Bible says they were naked. And we're not ashamed. Everything was laid on the table. And there was no problem. So my question is, where is the honor in what we call our twisted relationships? If the Bible says the marriage is honorable in all. The falsity that we live with God. That we put before him on a daily basis and try to act like we're something that we're not. And we, deep down inside, we know we don't measure. This, we're not throwing off on anybody else. We're here to examine ourselves. When it comes to inspection, that stamp of approval has to meet the list of requirements. And we can sit up and talk about how Enoch walked with God and how Enoch say he pleased God but just because you could quote what Enoch did doesn't mean that you're going to measure up because you could quote the scripture. The Bible constantly uses the word be diligent. He says strive to enter in at the straight gate. Why does he use that word strive? Any other time he writes it in the Bible, he's, he's forbidding that we strive with our brother. Don't strive with one another. But when it comes to, to securing your position in God, you got to strive for that. It's a struggle. So where, where is the honor in our relationship with God? We live in a society where people marry and take the oneness vow and turn around and tear all their intimate details to a third party they call their best friend. And this is why 
there's no difference in the divorce rate in the church than it is in the world. Because there's no change of habit. There's no change of character. There's no new person, really. It's called new. Most of the time, if somebody's got a product and it's got a bad reputation, they don't change the product. They change the name or they change the wrapper. So we change the way you talk a little bit. We, we change the way you say hello to somebody. We change it from hey or what's up and we change it to praise the Lord. It's the same filthy spirit with a new rapper. And usually they'll put in, in, in a bowl, little, in, in a star or something in red and go writing new. And we quote, my hands look new. I looked at my feet and they look new. Is it actually new or did it, does it just look new? Just looked. So the song actually might have got it right. Paul says something uh, about this relationship. And he's talking about husband and wives, but like before, we're dealing with our relationship with Christ. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Sounds like Genesis 2, doesn't it? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined or cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. What is so mysterious about this? We're talking about Paul here who said, I have a perfect understanding of the law. That which other rabbis spend their entire lives trying to understand, I have perfect knowledge of it. Yet he presents marriage to us and then calls it a great mystery. But how many of, it, of us have actually delved into it? What happens with a mystery? Something that is mysterious to you, you got to spend resources and time and, and meditation trying to dissect it. How much of that have we done? But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So the husband and wife are one flesh and the husband treats the wife like he would treat himself. So if he hates his wife, he hates himself. If he disrespects the wife, he disrespects himself. If he abuses the wife, he's abusing himself. If he holds secrets from the spouse, he is holding it from himself, if this is possible. Can you really lie to yourself? 
when I don't want my kid to find something, I go and buy some, some sweets and I know she's going to get into them. I hide them. I can't really hide them from myself. After all, I'm the one that put it there. But he wants us to treat this relationship. It, it's hard to be one when you're really two. Are we really stuck yet? Are we cleaving to God? Are we joined to God yet? Because if we are, then why are our minds fragmented from his? Paul said that I understand the mysteries of Christ. Paul didn't have something that you don't have. Which means that we ought to understand the mind of Christ. Are we really stuck yet? What is it about the mindset of today's society whereby a spouse can do these things and not operate under the assumption that he or she is doing it to themselves? We confess apostolic oneness but often live Trinitarian lives with fragmented marriages, homes, and relationships. It goes beyond there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. When does the oneness get off of the page and get into your relationship with God where you can say, I am absolutely one with the Father? I am one with Jesus. Colossians 2 and I believe verse number 10, 9 or 10 says, and you are complete in him. But yet we find so many other areas where we try to find our completeness. We try to find it in work. We try to find it in church. A place to fit in. We try to find it with another person. Even a spouse. You're not complete with your husband or wife. You are complete in him and your relationship with the husband or wife or with the mother or the brother, the sister, the cousin, the grandparents will never be what it's intended to be if you are not complete in him. That's first and foremost. That's fundamental. This is why he came in the flesh that he might put this forward and actuated himself as a prototype. He's the first fruits. That word means prototype. That means that he is on the line and he's going to go through all the rigorous testing to make sure the thing works right. And he said before he died, it is finished. That means that everything that I've set before you as the prototype, I work. And if it worked for him and we claim to be in him and it doesn't work for us, there's a disconnect. We're not stuck. We're not cleaving. He's not cleaved to us. We're not cleaved to him. There's something that is out of whack with this whole thing. We got to find out what it is. Where is the cleaving? There's a spiritual core to this. When we cleave to God, everything can be exposed and there will be no shame. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Then the verse after that brings in the freedom. For the spirit of Christ has set me free from the spirit of the law. That's how you get to no condemnation, no shame. You've got to be open with God. They were naked and were not ashamed. But the minute they got out of line, notice this. When God came calling to Adam and he said, where art thou? Adam said, I hid myself because I was naked and I was afraid. But when he covered himself up from God, he also covered himself up from his wife. So when they hid from God, they started hiding from each other. Same thing happening today. We're more worried about what this one or that one's going to think than what God thinks. Well, he can see through it all. And he wants us to be open with one another. This is why he says, lie not one to another. If you lie to God, you're going to lie to your brother or your sister. I called a, 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 a sister. I, I hadn't seen her in weeks. I guess she'd been there, but I guess I, I miss her, but she hadn't been there as much. So I, I emailed her. I said, you've been on my mind, and I haven't seen you. I just want you to know if, if you're going through anything, you know, I'm here if you want to talk. We're here if you want to talk. And she said, it's good to know that somebody cared enough to miss me. And I said, come on, if you're not doing anything this weekend, come to the retreat. God really meets us in these settings. And I had no idea. I guess somebody had let her hear some of the CDs, but she had, she had uh, nothing but good things to say. But it was what she was talking about. They're reaching out. I could have easily said, oh, why, why didn't you come to church? You, 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 you must not be in this thing no more. You, you, you just want to sin. You just want to go out there and do your thing. Knowing that there's a story behind everything. There's always a story. But we're not interested in the story. We want the shortcut. So sin brought about the need for a cover-up. So we're stuck in the stage of just covering stuff up. Until we cease from our cover-ups... Our marriage to God is not honorable. It is tainted with vain deceit. Self-deception is the worst deception there is. For you to claim yourself to be something and you're not, and God knows it. And you get hurt from it. We're not hurting God, although he's hurt, but he's God. We need him more then he needs us. So our, our marriage to him, if we're in the cover-up stage, if we try to make, if you have to try to dress everything up to present yourself to Christ, if you have to sell yourself to Christ, and this is really what a, a lot of the, where a lot of the, the laws come in, the legalist religion comes in. You have to look like this. You have to talk like this. You have to walk like this. You have to not go here and you have to go there. If you have to do all of that to present yourself to Christ, you're in the cover-up mode. 
If you can't come in and just say, Lord, this is me. I'm messed up. This is what I'm going through. This is how I am. I don't like who I am. Would you please send some kind of word to deliver me? He respects that kind of cry. But it's to come out and, and to say, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. It's the lie. So we have lip service. Isaiah says, wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. If you don't fear God from your personal experience, if you only fear God or reverence God from what somebody told you about God, it's not honorable. You're not stuck yet. You're stuck to religion. You're stuck to a program. You're stuck to a doctrine. But you're not stuck to Christ. Because Christ is even bigger than what we call the apostolic doctrine. There is so much more to God than conception and birth. Where's the growth? Where is the growing into the full stature of the measure of Christ? But you've got to grow. Go through grade school. Go to middle school, high school, get your diploma. Go on to trade school or college. Go on to a job and start to work up the ranks. But he says they were move their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. That's a frightful thought to have your only God experience be that which is taught to you through the precept of men. As I was sitting there, I thought of a message. I, I might teach it next time called spoiled brats. <laughs> Something that is spoiled. It's like the, the, the loincloth that we read in our second scripture. If it's not around the waist, it becomes good for nothing. It starts to rot and decay and mildew. Paul said, beware lest any man spoil you. There's four things that you can be spoiled through. Philosophy. Vain deceit. The rudiments of the world. And the traditions of men. These are four things that are sure to make you unfit for God's kingdom. They are four things that will draw you away from Christ because after those four things, he says, and not after Christ. So those four things stand opposed to what Christ has to offer. But yet we love them. We cleave to them. And he begged them. Do not cleave even to the remnant of what's left over of this junk. Because if you do, God's protection is no longer yours. You got to cleave to him. It says, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. You can't hide anything from the Lord. We try. And it goes beyond sin. Just your thought pattern. 
He said, I know the way that you take, that you take, and I'm acquainted with all of your ways. There's nothing you can hide from me. And do you know that God, see, God is funny like this. He'll give somebody wisdom, his wisdom, to read you like a book. I see it happen to a few folk. You wonder how they know. God is simply, it's not, it's not that it's their business. God is trying to show you, you can't hide stuff. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, who sees us? And who knows us? The mind, I think it was Will You Marry Me Again. She talked about the fact that we cheat on God with the devil and make God watch. This is what he's saying here. We dance with the devil knowing God's watching. Who sees us and who knows? But it's in the mind. Because we've even come up with technical terminology for divorce. Well, did he just look at her? Did she touch him? Did, did they penetrate? Jesus said, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's already committed it in his heart. What did the Bible say God looks at? The heart. So in God's eyes, it's already done. This is why we got to watch what we think. And it goes beyond just fleshly lust. He's judging what you think about him. The times that you've charged him with folly. When it was really all you. He saw that. And we read that if we don't cleave to God and we cleave to these other things, that God lifts his protection. Deuteronomy backs that up. This is my last scripture. Now listen, Israel, listen carefully to the rules and regulations that I am teaching you to follow so that you may live and enter and take possession of the land that God, even the God of your fathers, is giving to you. Don't add a word to what I command you and don't remove a word from it. Keep the commands of God, your God, that I am commanding you. It's very important that we don't add to and we don't take away from the word of God. It's settled in heaven. And whenever we try to use God's word to control people, that word becomes tainted. You've added your will to it. You've added your maliciousness to it. When you control people with the, the, the word is powerful enough to control people on its own. The Holy Ghost is going to lead and guide. This is good for us as parents to know that one day if we just lead them in the right direction, that word is going to work. He is the prototype. It worked. And it worked in every circumstance from temptation to pride to the lust of the eye, to the lust of the flesh. He says, I have already overcome the world. 
And if I overcame the world and you're fashioned after me, then you've overcome the world also. And the best thing with the prototype is that those that are in the line models never have to go under the same stress as the prototype went through. This is why it says you have not strived unto blood, striving against sin. You have not resisted unto blood. Don't add, don't take away. Keep the commandments that I'm commanding you. You saw with your own eyes what God did at Bel Peor, how God destroyed from among you every man who joined or cleaved himself to Bel Peor and his orgies. But you, the ones who held tight to God or cleaved to God, your God are alive and well, every one of you today. Whether you make it in the end or not is depending on who you're cleaving to. A lot of times we, we're so preoccupied with what people think of us. And as we become more preoccupied with what people think, we automatically start to release our concern of what God thinks of us. Are we going to please man or are we going to please God? Who are you going to cleave to? Who are you stuck to? What are you stuck to? We've got to make the conscious choice that I really am going to cleave to God. And to cleave to him, it means that I will not let him go. I am holding on to him so hard, so tenaciously, that you, you it's almost like a, a, a terrified child who runs and, and grabs onto the mother or father's leg, you can't rip that child off of that leg. Are you cleave to God? How easy do you let him go? How quick are you just to say, okay, this didn't work. I tried it for five years, didn't work. Tried it for three months, didn't work. I prayed on this for two weeks and, and it didn't work. How long are you gonna cleave? You're not stuck yet. Because somebody that's really stuck will actually be ridiculed by those that are passing by and say, you still waiting for that? You still looking for God to do that? You say, yes, I am. Because if he doesn't do it, I, I, I need to live. I need to be secure. I need some stuff done in my life that only he can do. It's very easy to run here and there to this one or that one. Even when people approach me with, with, with questions and sometimes I, I don't have an answer. We don't have answers to everything. Sometimes it's actually just God's actually trying to get you by yourself. God has a way of, of isolating and separating and getting you to a place to where you're so desperate to where you can't help but give that last cry, that last desperate cry out for help. The broken heart and the contrite spirit, those only come after much turmoil. A broken heart and a contrite spirit don't come at the first onset of trouble. It comes after much toiling, after, after a whole lot of yearning and hunger and thirsting and travail, labor pains. I looked at my wife, she was sick with this pregnancy. I wish I could do something. 
All she could do was just sit there and cry and ask God, could you please just help me? But when you're pregnant with something, and we walked into the doctor's office, and they say, how are you doing? She said, I'm sicker than I've ever been in my life. They said, good. It's good that you're at that place of desperation because it means that something's growing on the inside of you and it's messing up your normal system of the way things go. That means that God is actually in the mix now. There's a seed that is taking hold and it's upsetting the devil's plan. When the devil spoke a word and said, see, I got you now. I've got you confused. I've got you upset. And the chief physician says, it's good that you're that sick. Because it's in your weakness that you're made strong. My weakness equals his strength. What God wants from us is spiritual nakedness. Because we've been joined to him, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. We are one. The thing that comes after we are one is that they were naked and were not ashamed. Tonight is the night that we drop the shame 